Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm awfully glad to be uh, in studio right now with the Blooms, John and Pam Bloom. We call this Deep Thinker Thursday. I always look forward to it. I feel like we do church when the Blooms come in. And I want to go to um, John chapter 9. And as he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. We're going to talk about our perceptions with the Blooms. Uh, we're going to take a little 60-second break, and then we come back, we're going to get things started. Thank you for joining me today, and thank you uh, for supporting Faith Radio. We'll just uh, love you a lot. We'll be back in a minute. With every back-to-school sign comes that back-to-school dream, and not the one about having tater tots every day. The one you have about your kids getting the best teachers and the best instruction to equip them for life. Here at Faith Radio, we take that dream very seriously for you, because we're all growing as people. So as you listen, you'll find the best Christ-centered teaching and preaching from the best teachers possible. It's our commitment to you, and this class is always in session. Faith Radio. Praising our risen Lord together. Proclaiming his resurrection. Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. Glad to have John and Pam Bloom in studio. We call this Deep Thinker Thursday. They've been awfully faithful showing up uh, on Thursdays once a month, and it makes me so happy because I just feel like we do church when they come in. John is uh, the uh, an author, a board chair, and co-founder of Desiring God. So if you go to DesiringGod.org, you can see one of his many, many, many articles he has written over many years. He's the author of three books, Not By Sight, Things Not Seen, and Don't Follow Your Heart. Um, Pam is his wife, who's here. They have five kids, and they make their home right here in the Twin Cities. Welcome back. Good to be here. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. So uh, John, or John chapter 9 poses this great question. Uh, who sinned, this man or his parents? John, I think we're going to try to process this today, aren't we? Yeah, be, yeah. Uh, this, is, this is a remarkable story. Most people are familiar with the story. This is the man uh, born blind from birth, so he... Uh, I guess that's redundant, born blind from birth. Um, he was born blind. He had never seen. And um, and he had spent, he was well into his adulthood. I think he was probably middle-aged, 40 years old, if I remember it correctly. And, um, and, you know, this is one of the most famous of Jesus' miracles. Um, but... 
I think it says something really important about um, the unreliability of our own perceptions. That's why I think, that's one of the reasons I think this is so important. This is not merely a demonstration of the divine power that Jesus had, um, has, but um, this is also a commentary on, on how inaccurately we can see things. And uh, I say that because of the way, because of the assumptions that the disciples had when they asked him this question. So they see this man, he's begging, all right? So this, this, this man was a beggar. This was probably the only vocation that was open to this man back then. There was no, you know, disability act mm-hmm. in those days. Um, he had been living his life uh, on the margins and... The disciples ask Jesus a question because they come up to him, they see him, it prompts them to ask a question that troubles them. You know, because the pre- prevailing theology that was that was being taught them was that if you suffer a disability or some kind of a disease, it's got to be a result of, of a sin. Now, if you were born with it, then you, there was some, there was a, this, this pretty sophisticated errant theology that 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 fetuses could be could somehow sin against God in the womb so that was one possibility the other possibility was that this child was bearing the sins of the of his parents somebody did something wrong here and uh, and Jesus turns that completely on its head in his answer and so um, they ask him, Rabbi, who's, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered and said, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We need to just pause there for a second. And catch our breath over what Jesus has just said. Um, he is going to turn uh, the the future understandings not only for this this the way the man sees himself and the way the parents see themselves and the way the disciples understand things, but but now. He, but he's changing it for millions and millions of people who are going to come afterwards. Because um, it is, what Jesus is saying here is that this man's blindness has a purpose. And its purpose is not punishment. Its, pur- its purpose is Proclamation. And what, what, is that, what was that blindness going to proclaim? Well, it's going to proclaim this, that, that the Son of God has come to redeem people. That's what it's going to proclaim. It's going to proclaim who Jesus is to millions of people over thousands of years. That's what it's going to do. It's just that up until that moment, nobody knew that at all. This is amazing to think about and to meditate on. 
Now, the guy who's blind probably doesn't feel like he's... No. Well, yeah, I mean... Set apart. He just feels like, I've been born blind. This, I don't like this. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, his, his life, all those years, all those years... The man and his parents had labored under a perception that God had brought his judgment upon them for some unknown reason, right? Like, okay, some, one of us sinned. Somebody's guilty here. Mm-hmm. Can, can you imagine bearing that kind of, of, of vague condemnation? Something is wrong. God is angry. All those years, this man has, had endured insults. He endured indignities. He endured injuries, no doubt. He endured poverty. He endured loneliness. He endured isolation. I mean, how, how many tears did this man cry and, and his parents? How, how many prayers for mercy? No hope for an education. No hope for marriage. His only vocational option being begging. And suddenly... Jesus comes along and says, your suffering has a purpose, and it's a glorious one. You don't bear this because you sinned, and your parents don't bear this because they sinned. You're bearing this because I've got a glorious purpose. I'm going to turn this thing into redemption. I'm going to show my power in you so that, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, now here's, here, here's, here's just what I want us to think about. There's, there's, this is deep waters, okay? We're not, we're not going to gloss over the suffering here. Like, like whoa, wow, well, that's great. You know, like, I mean, it was great. But it doesn't negate all the suffering, all the years. And that's something we do need to, to dig into a little bit here. But the main thing that we need to, to, to catch right now is we can have perceptions about our own suffering or the suffering of our children or other people's suffering. And what's, what's happening in this story is that this man's God's purposes in this man's suffering happens to be opposite what everybody thinks. Do you catch that? Everybody thinks this man sinned or his parents. That's what they think. Wow. That's what they think. When they see him, they're going, man, what did you do? And he's thinking that. They're thinking that, and then lots of other people standing around who are bearing different kinds of infirmities are thinking that about themselves or about their children. You could, the weight, the collective weight that's going on in this, in this understanding, this theological understanding, that, and we all have theological understandings that we, that we need corrected by Jesus. We, need, we have perceptions, and, and maybe they're not the same as, as the way what this man is enduring, but, but we can perceive, you're angry with me. I have this because you're angry. Why would you keep, why would you let this go on? It, unless you're angry, unless, uh, like, like, I've been praying for this to go away and it's not going away and I'm, I'm bearing this, it's horrible. And come to find out, there was a purpose. It's just that it took nearly 40 years of this man's life before Jesus comes to do it. 
John and Pam, where does or did that theology come from? Where did this theology occur where one of the disciples said, who sinned, Rabbi, this man or this man's parents? And then Jesus turns that theology upside down. Where did that theology originally come from? Well, it's a way of interpreting the result of the curse. So we know that after the fall of Adam and Eve, the curse was instituted. And, um, you know, at the time of Jesus, the, 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 whole, the problem of good and evil, this is, <laughs> this is where we get into trouble. What was the initial offense that was committed in the Garden of Eden? It was that Adam and Eve took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and they ate. That was the tree that was forbidden for them. Why did God forbid that tree? He didn't forbid the tree of life. (laughs) He forbade them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What that means is there is a complexity to understanding how good and evil intertwine, imagine, work together, that human beings are not, um, we do not carry the capacity for. It's, it's, it's a weight that's too heavy to bear. That's, that's, where, that's really where this comes from. It's, it's trying to reason why did this happen? We see it in the book of Job. That was, this was what was going on with Job's counselors. Job was suffering. He was suffering. He didn't understand why. It was perplexing him. He was feeling probably very much like this man in John chapter 9. Um, he, he does not know why. For, for the be- to the best of his knowledge, he didn't do any sin. Those, his, you know, Job's counselors, his friends that came, they made the same assumptions as the people who were around this blind man did. It's going to be a fascinating hour with the Blooms. We call this Deep Thinker Thursday, and for good reason. We'll take a little break, and we'll be back in 90 seconds. to have John and Pam Bloom in studio. We call this Deep Thinker Thursday, and we are uh, uh, talking about John chapter 9 today, and I want to get back to our discussion, John, about the, the weight of the knowledge of good and evil and why God had Adam um, and Eve, why that was forbidden in the weight of the knowledge of good and evil. Could we get back into that? Yeah, so before the break, I had just gotten into, you had asked me the question, where does the does a theology come from? That, that was saying the kinds of things um, that was being said about this man. You know, Jesus, who was it? Was this, was it? Is this man bearing the weight of his own sin, or is he bearing the weight of his, the punishment of his parents' sin? Like, that was the quandary that they, were, they had, because that was what they knew. Where does that come from? And the, and the way I was answering that was, it comes from our l- very limited ability to understand good and evil. And so the original transgression 
of humanity was that was that God said God basically gave in, in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God was saying to Adam and Eve, "Now, I want you to trust me. Here's the here's what I say about you. Do not." You know, we were only given a small amount of the conversation that God would have had with them. God had all sorts of promises for them. But one thing he did say is in the day that if, but if you eat of this tree, you, you will die. There, there will, it will, it will institute a curse. Don't eat from this tree because this is, in other words, I want you to trust me and not try to be me. <laughs> okay. That is the way human beings are wired. And what I mean is we are wired to be people who live by faith, not ha- not having the exhaustive knowledge of good and evil and how it works. That doesn't mean that we don't try to answer hard questions. What that means is at the end of the day, we all have way too limited capacities to be able to process um, all the information. And we only have a very small perspective of anything at any given time. And so therefore we are, we are meant to look to God and, trust him with a, with a whole bunch of of information that we can't um that we can't process and with a perspective that is universal that we can trust that God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose that's Romans 8:28 mm-hmm. that's what we're wired to be we are happiest when our when we when we trust in the Lord with all our heart and do not lean on our own understanding we are most miserable when we have to deal with the anxiety and fear that comes from trying to figure it all out on our own. That's where a lot of our anxiety and fear comes from. Trying to trust our own understanding and lean on it, and it's too small. And so we come up with explanations that end up being simplistic and end up being errant and end up doing damage. Um. And so that's why that's where I think this comes from. It has its roots there, trying to be like Job's uh, counselors and give an explanation. Here, clearly, you sinned. You know, repent. That wasn't what was going on with Job, and that wasn't going on here with this man who was born blind. God, there was other purposes in Job's case. There was a there was a whole thing happening in the divine council. That was outside the realm of anybody's perceptions. <laughs> and here we have the fact that God had chosen this man to be a way of revealing who he is and what his purposes are on the earth. But that wasn't, that like, nobody knew that. So they were trying to make sense of, of it based on what they knew. And what they knew ended up doing a lot of damage. But Jesus came and he freed this man eventually. And um, and let's get to we can get to like was it worth it? That's a different question. <laughs> but let's just let's just stay here for a second and say many of us deal with things that are way over our heads, and we deal with with profound suffering, ongoing ongoing things. And there's no clear like we don't know like what 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 did I do to deserve this? Well, we need to be very careful about our perceptions because our perceptions can be. Opposite, actually, as this story illustrates, can be opposite of what God's purposes are in them. Does that make sense? Makes a ton of sense. I love this idea, John. I think this is something I, I would love to talk more about, just this, this perception zone that we often live in. 
which is not the reality zone. Right. Yeah. And it, we can't help but have perceptions. I, I get that. But that doesn't mean that they're right. What it means is we must, Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians in First Corinthians chapter 5 makes this phrase uh, referring to a specific instance, but he says, um, he's telling the Corinthians that you, do not go beyond what is written. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what he says. That is a really good principle. Be very careful not to go beyond what is written. In other words, beyond what God has said about any particular purpose that he has. Um, it's not wrong what we have in the Bible are, are, are one-third of the Psalms that are laments. And many of them are saying, what is wrong? How long? God, you know, com- complaining to God in ways that, that honor God. That's why God preserves them as, a, as part of the canon. But, so God's not averse to, to having us exclaim our perplexity to him and, our, and express our pain. What he, what he tells us not to do, especially in the book of Job, um, the way he rebuked Job's uh, friends or his counselors were, was to say, you have not spoken what is right of me. That's what he said. You've not spoken what is right of me. And we just don't want to do that. We don't want to do that about our own suffering, and we don't want to do that about other people's suffering. So much of the Christian life, so much of the Christian life, when you think about it, is different ways of handing God back the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, but through the folly of the gospel. We're called to believe in him. The gospel is a call to trust, not have all the problems explained first. When we trust God, then things can begin to fall into to place. doesn't answer all the hard questions. doesn't answer all the hard questions that we have, but that's, those are not meant for this age. Many of them are not meant for this age. Many things are meant for us to take the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, which we all have taken to some degree or another, and hand it back to him and say, you may have the fruit. I'm not equipped to manage this. Take it back, Lord. You may have it. I trust you. Wow. This is really interesting, John. I'm really enjoying this. Uh, We're going to take a little break. If you have a question or comment, let us know what it is. You can send a text to 877-933-2484. If you want us to clarify a point that uh, we have made or John has made, we'd be happy to do that. 877-933-2484. Otherwise, after a short break, we'll be back with John and Pam Bloom. We call this... Deep Thinker Thursday, and if you're like me, and I know I am, uh, you're you're realizing this is some deep thinking going on. All right, we'll be right back. Deep Thinker Thursday with John and Pam Bloom. They're here in studio with me. I love it. And we're talking about 
John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. And dealing with the weight of the knowledge of good and evil, we can't bear it. We've got to hand it back to God and trust him. God wants us to trust him. Um, and the greatest anxiety we have is when we don't trust him and we trust ourselves. So, John, maybe we can jump back to the knowledge of good and evil. God wants us to, to know the difference, doesn't he? He wants us to yeah, know that's and a discern. Really, that's a really important point to make is that is that... The issue was not um, should for Adam for Adam and Eve or for us. The issue is not does God want us completely ignorant of what is good and what is evil. That's not what was going on in the garden. Um, what was going on in the garden was the temptation was in the you know that, that the serpent said is in the day that you eat of it. God knows that in the day that you eat of it, you will be you'll have your eyes open. You'll become wise like God. Okay, that's what was appealing. Mm. I will will have godlike wisdom. We we will make ourselves gods. We'll become like gods. That's and and then and that God must be holding out on us. Okay, that's the problem. The problem is, of course, I mean, God expected Adam and Eve to know what good and evil was because He was basically saying, "What will be evil is if you." Eat of this tree. I'm going to forbid you to do it. If you do it, it's it's evil. They knew good. Good was obeying him and trusting him. Evil was disobeying him and distrusting him. All right? That's And when it comes down to it, that's really the essence of what evil is. It's disbelieving what God says and trusting our own perceptions and our own impulses and our own drives and our own cravings and all those things. And we, we put those things before what God said. And then we live by those and they end up turning into tyrants in our lives. They take over. And we, we find that we are not at all like God, and we can't even manage it. And when evil comes, we start trying to figure, we, you know, it begins to, de- we, the more we start trusting our own understanding, and the more demented our understanding becomes, the further we get away from trusting God. Does that make sense? It does. Is this the first case of humans wanting more? I mean, come on, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, right? Right. <laughs> they have everything, and yet they had an offer for something more. God was not denying them something more. There was probably going to be lots of more, more, more of, of all sorts of things. Okay. What, what, um, the more that God did not want them to, to have was, was uh, a distorted more, a more that doesn't exist, okay, and that's like, and that's becoming, I, it's becoming like him, like like trading places. I'm going to, I want to be you, I want to be like you, I want to be you. They were in God's image, but they were created to trust Him, mm-hmm. not be Him, not to be His peer. They were given regency over creation. They were not the Creator. They were, they were to administer justice, not be the arbiters themselves of, or, you know, the, the determiners of justice. And righteousness is, is trusting God, right? That's, we, we, it gets, when we see that, Abraham believed God, and it was 
reckoned to him or counted to him as righteousness. Unrighteousness at its core, wickedness at its core, is wanting what doesn't exist, which is godness for us. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what it was. It's not, it wasn't that they, that they didn't have anything more to shoot for. It's just that don't shoot for, the, don't shoot for something evil, <laughs> something that doesn't exist. Don't shoot for an empty promise. It's, it's going to kill you. The more is not death that I want for you. He wants, you know, Jesus said, I have come that, you, that they may have life and have it abundantly. That, that is the more that God wants for us. The abundant life that comes from God, what comes from, from drifting off of what God says is bankruptcy. More bankruptcy. That's not the more. So isn't that what, getting, going back to the fall, and then going back to the story that we started with in, in John it's Jesus that fulfills that. So Jesus comes in and he changes their whole paradigm. They've been on a track of, yeah. of blame shifting, either w- blaming this man or his parents or blaming God and making assertions that, well, this must be what the cause is. This must be what God is like. And then there's application for us today of where do we make assumptions of God and where in our context is it reinforced by other kind of slippery false teaching that, that we're vulnerable to, to believe and that sneaks into the church and we need to help one another be discerning that we are not joining the enemy in accusing God or accusing one another. That's right. and, and who isn't, who, who is blameless that there wouldn't be something we could examine and go like, is because I did this that this suffering is happening. We're vulnerable to all sorts of of accusations that are just true that we are guilty, but that's not the gospel. We are we are not being punished for something we've done and we need to be careful to and and cooperate with God to, to free one another from lies that we've believed. And, you know, if you're sick or in suffering, you are very susceptible to this oppressive worldview. And and Jesus comes in and changes it, and he's still doing that today. So we, where you were saying, he, he's calling us, trust me. And he's knowing this is a very hard situation to trust him. It, I've... I've sat with friends who are like, I know God is able to heal and deliver, but he's not. Now what? God, help us keep trusting you. And the praise that he receives when we are suffering and still trust him is beautiful. And that he will, as you said, he will prove it was worth it. Yes. And we, And our faith might be so tiny that he will make it worth it because it does not feel like it now but in the end we will see it was and in may on earth we see more of the fruit of of a faithful life that that would give testimony to to now on earth that he's making it worth it and encouraging one another to persevere yes so that was your wise wife pam speaking john just so just so you know I'm, I am, 
I benefit from her wisdom. As did constantly. I right now and all the listeners. Um, yeah, but you, we can ask, was it worth it for this man to have endured what he did for as long as he did? Um, a lot of suffering. A lot of suffering. A lot of it. And a lot, like, was it, was it worth it? I mean, God, are you just playing games with this guy? So, so like, you're going to, like, wow, 40 years of his life, like, so that you can come along and heal him and show everybody how great you are? Well, I think it depends on what this man is getting in return. <laughs> He's getting, what's going to happen for this man is that, is that in believing in, in Jesus, this man is going to have Jesus himself pay for all the sins that this man actually did do. His sins didn't make him blind, but, but he was a sinner like everybody else, and so he sinned in all kinds of ways. Jesus is going to pay for those. He's going to, beyond having a miraculous healing, not everybody gets that, as Pam was just pointing out. Not everybody, not everybody gets that. Most probably don't. But what we're given here, okay, this is a little, there is a few places in Scripture, this is one of them, where the curtain is pulled back. So you kind of see behind the scenes what's going on. There's a bigger picture playing out. Jesus shows there's purposes here that you didn't see, and, and it's to reveal me. This man is going to get eternal life. And, and all that's going to come with that. And if you ask that man, I don't think it would be exaggerating to say this, this would be worth a thousand blind lifetimes. And so you, you have to ask, was it worth it? Well, it depends on what you get in return. If you get Jesus and all that comes with him, all that he promises, Jesus says after he heals this man, I, or just before he heals this man, I am as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. He says in, in John 14, verse 6, I am the truth. So when we want to know what the truth is, and we want to live in, in, in the light of understanding, we go to Jesus, the light of the world, because in his light, we see light. Trusting him helps make sense of a lot of things. It doesn't answer all the hard questions, but it does make sense. You can begin to perceive purposes of God that, be, that once you thought you were angry, made you angry, swear at God. And then later, you begin to see beauty. You begin to see glory. That God can have purposes beyond what we think that might actually make it be far more worth it than we ever thought possible. That's what's being that's what's playing out here in John chapter 9 is this man I'm not making light of suffering. I'm making great of God and his glory. That's the point. The point is if there's anybody who can swallow up your suffering in glory and make it more than worth it for you, it's this man Jesus Christ. He did it for him. He did it for Job. Job's greatest payment was not the fact that he, you know, that after all, all of him was said and done, then he got, you know, some wealth back and he got some kids and whatever. That wasn't the payback. That wasn't replacing what he had lost. It blessed him. But it didn't replace his lost kids. What he got was God. He got God forever. And, and 
that's really, that's the point of John chapter 9. The, the light has come into the world. He can make the blind see. And he can, and he will demonstrate. He will demonstrate for you at some point. It may be a lot longer than you wish that it would be, but he will make it worth your while. Trust him. I love this verse, John and Pam, where right before he heals this man, he says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world, like you said earlier. And ironically, this blind man had never seen light in his life. He'd never seen light. He didn't know what light was. Nope. He'd lived in complete darkness. All right, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to have one more segment with John and Pam Bloom. We call this Deep Thinker Thursday, and for good reasons. We'll be back in 90 seconds. show john and pam bloomer in studio you don't know john of course from desiringgod.org and his wife pam and we're talking about john chapter nine and this is so wonderful this story is uh so great to be back in chapter nine of john and so he washes in the pool of siloam he can see and he's brought in front of the pharisees and they say who did this and he is He's just amazed because he just hasn't met Jesus yet. Right? He hasn't seen him yet. Hasn't seen him. He hasn't seen him yet. He, Who is this guy that he did was this? brought? He gets. He gets. He can see, and and there's and and that gets the whole crowd excited. Like, wait a minute, this is the guy who's been sitting here for years. No, it can't be. People don't get get healed. You know, they don't get their yeah. sight back. He was born blind. It's got to be somebody else. He looks like him. Right. And he says, No, no, that's me. It's me. And so they, they haul him in front of the, the, the Pharisees, the rulers. The rulers start querying him. Wait, who did this to you? How did he do this? So the man explains it over and over, and, and, they're, and they're, now they've got a problem. Because this man, Jesus, <laughs> has performed this miracle, and he seems, and they don't like what he's teaching. And, and so they think he can't be from God. Right? He can't be from God. He's, he's, he's and, the, and, and the man who is born blind says, look, I don't know about all your rules and whatever these theological problems that you're throwing up here, but he healed me. (laughs) He made me see. And you know what? Since the beginning of the world, no one has ever heard of a man born blind who was, who could then see. And then they, they say, you're oh, you're going to teach us, you who were born in sin. So, so that, that theology is still wow, there. still there, isn't it? You were born in sin. You're no longer welcome. You're out of the synagogue with you. There's the Pharisees saying this. Yeah, yeah, out of the synagogue with you. And then Jesus shows up. He gets kicked <laughs> out of the synagogue, and Jesus shows up, and, and he says to him, um, do you believe in the Son of Man? And, the man's, and, the man, and, and so now, now the man recognizes the guy who healed him. And so he's like, anything you say, I'm going to believe, right? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And the man says, Lord, I believe. 
and he worshipped him. Immediately he knows that this man is divine. I mean, that would have been blasphemous for a Jew unless this was God. He recognizes him. And the, the great irony of the story, the great irony of the story, and this still plays itself out over and over, is is the blindness was the was in was resident in the religious leaders and, and the others who, who would not believe, would not would not believe, who held on to that theology and that, that the, the, mis, the missed view. When God in the flesh was standing right in front of them, they couldn't see him. And this man, this man sees. And, and so we, this, we, this is a warning. If we will not trust God and we will insist on trusting our own understanding, that is a profound blindness that may just keep us out of the kingdom. We don't want that. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see, and those who see, say they see, may become blind. The Pharisees understood this. Are you telling us that we're blind? And Jesus said, Well, if you were blind, blind, you'd have no guilt. But because you say we see, we understand, we know. Your guilt remains. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking at verse 39, John and Pam, and it said, Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Second part of that verse, is he referring to the Pharisees? Yeah, and the Pharisees get that. That's why in verse 40, that's how they were saying, are, we, are you saying we're also blind? Are you saying okay. we're blind? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. And he's saying... And he's and he's 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 still trying to get help them see. Like he's he's speaking in in typical Jesus parable parabolic language here. But he's but he's saying, well, if you were blind like this man was, you you would be innocent. This man proved this man was not guilty for the things reasons you thought he was guilty. <laughs> but you're insisting that you understand that you see. Meaning meaning now he's talking about an intellectual seeing a a moral seeing, a, a discerning of the truth that causes, that's causing them to reject him. Okay, that's what, because you say we see, now that's, what, that's the kind of seeing he's talking about. Your guilt remains. You are, you are blind. This man, this man has, was blind. Now he sees and now he trusts me. You see me and you don't trust me. Your guilt remains. You have a greater blindness than this man had. Mm-hmm. So it, it's an unnerving passage. Yeah. So if you had a child that was allergic to peanuts, you wouldn't have a jar of peanut butter in your house, would you? Yeah. So question a, a viewer has, and he didn't add that part that I just said, but he said, if God didn't want us to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, why was the tree in the garden? Well, um, the reason I think the tree was in the garden was, 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 you know, what God is doing is providing Adam and Eve an opportunity to trust him. All right? In other words, don't, don't disobey, don't disobey disbelieve me 
And it was it was an it was the option for them to disbelieve. Don't do it. Um, and it's and it's fulfilling a broader, deeper cosmic purpose because God is going through the course of history to reveal the manifold glory of His of His mercy and kindness and His justice. I mean, it's going the way history is going to play out. So we 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 there's deep theological waters. That's not a simple soundbite um, answer uh, for a question like that. There's deep, there's different dimensions in which we need to answer that question. But, but just, but just granted, we, there is a, there is the, an option given to the man and the woman to distrust him if they were to choose. And we can say, well, then that's showing that God is uh, is evil. And there we start, we need to say, well, that, that, that's where we begin to say, am I making that assessment because I think my assessment is wiser than God? Am I wiser than God? Do I assume that that, that has to be evil because that's how I perceive it to be? Because I think I would have done it differently. Mm-hmm. Is, is God wise or is he not? Um, is he just or is he not? Was it, was it just of God to allow an opportunity to disobey? God, God said yes. And we are then left with the question, well, we can trust him or we can trust ourselves. And there's the rub. Now, there's more, a lot more that can be said about God's wider purposes in, in the, allowing history, in fact, ordaining history to unfold as it did. Um, because it wasn't like God was out of control <laughs> at any time. But we can say, I think, we can at least say that, that we know that God had a purpose in granting that it was possible for human beings to disbelieve. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's another way of saying um, what we were talking about earlier. It's not that this man or his parents sinned in even analyzing, is it Adam and Eve that sinned, or was God even unjust to even put that tree there? It's like, was that a setup? Maybe that's the wrong question, but the emphasis is that the work of God be beyond display. That's that's. And instead of finding an issue and being skeptical of the whole scenario Mm -hmm. that God set up, that's unjust. They sinned. Why is that put on us? And those are all like normal questions, but they may not be the best question. And then resting our confidence in the purpose of God. He has a better rationale that's to put his works on display. Let's rejoice in those, let's review them. Let's bank our lives now on them and help one another. Great stuff. We only have about a minute left, but I'm wondering if we can try to come to a, a point of what can we apply from this story of the intense suffering this man did? How does it apply to our lives? I think the main application that I want to draw out from this story. There's, there's more, certainly. 
than this in this story, just like there is in every story that God tells. It's, if we're going to be skeptical, let us be skeptical of our perceptions. Um, let us be careful making assumptions about what we think God is doing or the reasons why. Let's make sure that we are taking, drawing from all of Scripture and seeing the character of God, especially as revealed in Jesus, the image of the invisible God. What was this man like? What was his justice like? What was his purposes? Yeah. And, and trust him. That's great counsel. John and Pam, thank you so much for coming in. I just always look forward to these days with you and this time together. I know our listeners do too. I just got a listener saying, Guest is, guests are fantastic. Um, without a doubt, some of the best topics and guests are on your show. And I agree. So thanks. That wraps up our show for the day. Thanks to uh, the guys that came in for Guy Talk and then John and Pam Bloom for Deep Thinker Thursday. It's been a great day. I hope you've had a good day. And I hope uh, that you're feeling encouraged and uplifted. And uh, I hope you have a good night. And as you lay your head on the pillow tonight, I just be reminded that God is, God is working out his great plan in your life. All right? Have a good night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.